Hi there. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Hello Mentor. Uh, today we have Annabelle Co-Martinen with us, founder and managing director of La Juiceria. Uh, she oversees the expansion, business development strategies, marketing and operations for La Juiceria Co-Press, Detox Bars, Goodness Green Cafe, La Juiceria Superfoods Cafe and uh, Super Saigon Cafes. Uh, in 2019, uh, they introduced a new brand called Hawker Hall which is a modern copy diem. Uh, Annabelle's carved up her marketing experience in the technology sphere during her previous stints with leading global brands such as Hewlett-Packard, Canon, and Nokia in, uh, in her native Philippines, as well as Microsoft in Kuala Lumpur, where she has spearheaded numerous ambitious product launches. Right, so uh, Annabelle. Uh, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. It's always interesting to you know to meet new people and share insights. Yeah, like I um you know I I'm a big fan of what you do. Thank like, you. Of all all the um the uh well I, I'm a big fan of the food right and and all that and I I eat it like super regularly. Thank so you very much. It's, it's really it's awesome that I can talk to you in person now. It's people like you who helped us reach until today um, and it's always good to to meet people who who know what we do uh, and value what we do it's amazing um could you like maybe we can start by like uh if you can share like a bit of a backstory with us right so i understand that um you're originally well you're you're from the philippines yes that's right, right. and and we did a lot of research about you obviously before this conversation and in one of the interviews i think you mentioned that uh you know some of your friends were I know we're kind of advising against you coming to Malaysia. Could, could you tell us a little bit more about like, how it happened? Like, how did how did you make that decision to come to Malaysia? Why were you so sure? And like, what what were your feelings then? Okay, so I was originally from Manila, so I worked. Uh, I grew up in Manila. Uh, studies from Manila as well. Uh, and eventually built uh, a tech career in, in Manila. And eventually, you know, you meet the right one. At that time, my husband uh, was traveling from France to Singapore, and he lived in Singapore for a while while waiting for me. Uh, and we lived in Singapore for a short while, but then after getting married in Singapore, he had to transfer to KL. And I think uh, many a times people move not because they know they want to move, but... For me at that time, it was newly married, you know, I didn't want to start off the marriage by having a great career in Singapore, knowing that I could easily find any job there. So I knew we were coming to KL and all the people were really um, downplaying KL, especially Singaporeans. Oh. <laughs> I would say um, the Filipinos, yeah, yeah, the Filipinos wouldn't have a complete understanding, at least back in 2006, that was when I moved. Uh, a lot of them didn't understand KL. Uh, they didn't really see KL as a, a fantastic place. Everyone knew Singapore. Everyone knew it was very forward. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have a, a, a superb picture of what KL's potential could be. Um, I myself was, I've never been to Kuala Lumpur uh, before I came to decide that we had to come here. Wow. So it was more of he, need, he needed to come and I need to support my new husband. And I decided not to have a career in Singapore. And I came for a look-see trip. Mm. So while he had a business trip, I came to have a look. And the first week I was here, I was in love with the place. Um, 
half the price, twice the size. That's what I say in terms of uh, property because we were living at a beautiful property in Singapore, but it was so expensive. It was so small. And mm. the moment I started to, you know, I started to shop around to see, okay, if we're going to end up here, might as well look at what is going to be our new place. Mm. And I was so taken aback by the amount of properties that were so beautiful and brand new and so affordable so then on the second trip you start to look around at the groceries you start to look at salons and services and you know oh my god this is like half the price of singapore <laughs> so the the first the first impression about kl which until today stays and my description of, of malaysia is that it's a crossbreed of singapore and manila Hmm. Um, in Manila, anything is possible. Uh, it's very vibrant. The people are very friendly. Uh, in Singapore, it's very forward in terms of infrastructure and, and how they are aiming high uh, as a country. Hmm. So you put those two together, that's what Malaysia is for me. And right. it's been my home for 13 years 13 and years. going on strong. Um, and I, I really feel it feels... It's, it's home to me. It's home. Um, and that's why... I would build what I built uh, over here because it's just uh, a fantastic place, at least for expatriates who who want to come and work or who want to come and open a business. Mm. Um, and a few expats have shared their stories with me saying that uh, Malaysia is one of the few countries where an expatriate can fully own a company. And that is why they have made their way from different Southeast Asian countries to come and settle here in mm. Kuala Lumpur. So mm. I find it to be very friendly to expatriates. Mm. Uh, and I think when they, dis and if they do discover it, I more and more people will come for sure. Mm, that, that is so interesting, right? So, so you mentioned like a cross between like Manila and Singapore and um, uh, in the sense where there's a lot more opportunity because right? yes. it's a bit less crowded, there's yes. still a lot of space for growth. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so when you first came to uh, Malaysia, like, did you uh, land a job straight away? Like, oh, how was yeah. It? yeah. So that, that was one of the fears that the Singaporeans were, uh, were, were throwing at me when mm. I said I was going to move to KL uh, after a few months of, of getting married. They all warned me about the spouse pass, you know, the, the dependent pass where you won't be able to work, mm. you won't be able to find opportunities. Do you know that the road signs are all in Malay? You won't find your way around KL. Um, contrary to what they warned me, uh, within four or five months, I found a job with Microsoft. And I think that perhaps opportunities, depending on which industry you're in, uh, will be easier than others. And I was very fortunate that my background allowed me to immediately find a, a job within, within less than six months. Mm. And uh, after I got my permit, I stayed with uh, Microsoft for four years. Mm. And, uh, and the, the government being what it is, is quite forward thinking. Mm. Um, at that time, I was on a dependent pass and then I had my own work permit. After that, they launched, um, I think it was in 2012, the government launched a pass called Residence Pass, which right. is the RPT, the Talent Corp Resident Pass. And I was one of the first receivers. So this is 
where I feel the government is doing the right kind of thing. They know that to grow uh, an economy, to grow a country uh, which needs more people, they are vetting out quality people uh, to be able to contribute to the economy. Um, and this is a welcome. I think it was. It came at a time that I needed it. Mm. I was uh, leaving Microsoft at that time, mm. and I wanted to venture into doing my own business. Mm. So, timing-wise, it was perfect. Um, and I think this has gotten a lot of attention to a lot of expatriates who wanted to start a business because the MM2H is a very totally different kind of program. It's right. for people, retirees or people who earn money elsewhere but want to have a second home. Uh, and cost of living in Malaysia is again in the middle of Singapore and uh, Manila. So I think many things are quite affordable here. Uh, I know Malaysians all flocking to leave, wanting to go to Australia. I know a lot of young people who oh, here, yeah. they're fighting to, to leave and go to, to UK or Australia. And here I am trying to stay in Malaysia, you know. Mm -hmm. So I always convince people that it's a wonderful country in terms of opportunities, yes. in terms of jobs, in terms of starting something. Yes. Um, and a lot of people have come to KL to, do, to try, it, try it out. It's simply because they say it's cheaper to fail. Mm. And I think when and these are people who come from different countries so mm. i feel uh, wasted if i hear malaysians leaving to get experience in in uk and in australia where life is not really all that good um as compared to what you can get here in kl mm. so uh, think yeah. twice yep. <laughs> i 100 percent agree i actually lived in um london for most of my young adult life so i lived there when i was between 19 to 29 years old and a lot of people always ask me, oh, why did you come back? Why yes. did you just stay, right? Like, and, and I told them, yeah, I, I had a great time in London. It was a good career. But the opportunities there were very different, right? It's very crowded. Mm. And, you know, uh, and if I wanted to start a business, for example, then not only don't I have enough networks, but it's so expensive yes. to try something in London, mm. right? And, and, and I couldn't even afford to take that step. Uh, whereas back in Malaysia, not only is it a bit less crowded in terms of like, you know, competition, yes. but it's like, as you said, right, it's like things are a lot cheaper, but it's like half the price, twice the size. Yes, half the price, twice the <laughs> size for everything. That's right. And yeah. and so it's so much easier to try something. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's why I tell people a lot of times that, like, yeah, like you don't necessarily have to leave. Uh, you could find your way like in Malaysia. Um, so... The, the next thing I was really curious about, right, Annabelle, was that you're obviously from a corporate background. Mm -hmm. Like you've been in the corporate world for many, many yes, years. Yes, more than a decade of corporate uh, training. That's yes. right. And, and um, from a lot of, well, from my personal network, of friends who have started a business, I, I have find like typically two types of profiles. Like either, you know, they, they started a business at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Like they, they got a job or they never got a job. Yes. Or they got a job early on, they realized they don't like a job uh -huh. and they went to their business. Or those have just stayed on in the corporate world like, like forever. Like yeah. they, that's, they know that they like this, this is me. Mm -hmm. And they don't ever come out and do a business. Mm -hmm. I don't find many people who are like you, like in between. Like you've done, you, you've been in the corporate world for about a decade. Mm -hmm. And then you come out and say like, oh, and I'll start a business. And then you succeed. So, so what is like, what is the... Tell us about that transition a little bit. How, how, how easy or difficult? What were the challenges? Okay, well, nothing is ever easy, right? Mm -hmm. And that is why people stay at what they know. Either you've never made it and you, you never made it to a job, so you continue to be innovative on your own as an entrepreneur. 
or they've been into the corporate world where it's beautiful, it's easy in terms of um, in terms of the challenges. It's not as hard as being on your own. Uh, you have a network, you have support system. Uh, you work Mondays to Fridays, and you get a salary every month, mm. paid on time, uh, and all the perks that goes with it. So I think people tend to stick to what they know. Um, and the dangerous part is always how about the other side, the one that I don't know. So I did meet uh, quite a few people who were like me, who wanted to leave. Mm. Um, but I would say in all these people, maybe only 10% was able to leave and really packed up and said, let me go out on an adventure. The rest were lip service mm. and they are still where they are. Mm. Uh, maybe in other jobs, but in the same industry, uh, in the same uh, rat race, you mm. know how we would call it. Mm. Uh, and it's not wrong because mm. some people are just built to be uh, really good soldiers. Right. They, they, right. they are very good at delivering what they do and salute to them because without them, uh, companies cannot move forward. Mm. So there's this kind of person who always would be looking for more in terms of contribution, in terms of ideas. And I've always had this thought of starting a business. Mm. Um, I think a little bit of background is that a lot of the Chinese families in the Philippines most of them, uh, first, it's a very small community, much mm. smaller than in Malaysia. So um, you rarely see a Chinese working uh, odd jobs in Manila because the population is so small. Right. Most of them own businesses. They would own trading companies. They would work for their own companies or they would, um, very small. So, so the idea of me working in corporate was a very no-no for my parents back then. Oh, so then. that was yes, unusual. Yes, unusual, you. unusual. Right. Um, and they wanted uh, us to continue to, to continue the family business. But uh, obviously, you always want something that you don't have. And what we didn't have was a corporate life. Well, seeing these beautiful buildings, mm -hmm. uh, wearing power suits, carrying beautiful bags and shoes to work. Uh, that was what attracted me back then. And I think at 20s, you want to be ambitious. Mm -hmm. And uh, for women out there who are like me, the change in lifestyle when you have children that is one of the most, I would say, awakening moment for every woman, whether they are in corporate or they are an entrepreneur or wanting to quit. Because when you have children, it's a very life-changing moment. So enjoying my time in Microsoft, going up the elevator, enjoying the perks. I had my daughter um, when she was from two months to 12 months, everything was normal. Uh, I was going back to my job. Everything was great. But then the moment she started talking after 12 months, you start to realize that you have this human being who is dependent on you. Mm. And I cannot be going up this elevator in the next 10 years and the same climbing up this ladder. So you start to plan the exit, which is what do I do after? How do I have more time? What can I build in this country? Mm. Can I do it on my own? Mm. And I've had that thoughts for a long time and it took me so long to leave because it needed, you know, usually there's a turning point in your life. So having children was my turning point. Mm. The realization that time is running and that if I wanted to have this goal, I have to start something now. So I quit my job with no other jobs after that. Um, and it took me a two-year journey to find out what I wanted to do. So mm. in that two years, while deciding what I wanted to do, I kept myself busy. 
Um, I worked for BFM as a radio producer Mm. uh, and interviewed more entrepreneurs, which (laughs) sealed the deal saying that, Annabelle, you got to do this. All these entrepreneurs uh, with big stories, small stories, all had the same story, the same message is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth the ride. So that kind of really sealed it and said, okay, I'm on it, I'm on it. And I think when you know the worst case scenario Mm. is not so bad, Mm. you tend to do something uh, and be more bold. So an example would be, um, I nagged my husband, I think at least for six months talking about before my resignation in Microsoft. And when it dawned on me, what he said was, what's the worst case well, the worst case would be I fail at what I'm about to do, uh, burn a bit of money, and I can apply another job in Microsoft. And mm. he said, you see, isn't that, that's not so bad, isn't it? Mm. So then you kind of then take that step and say, okay, um, if this is how the, the worst case scenario would be, it's not so bad. So you start to take steps on following your dream. Mm. Uh, and I think many a times, not just Malaysians, all Asians, I think, you know, faith is very important. Mm. Um, we are all afraid of failing and that fear stops us from doing anything. Uh, and once you're fearless, you start to become uh, bold in your decisions. You become very open about the future and this also comes with preparation. Right. I wouldn't recommend this to people who have very big financial um, responsibilities. I know that it's very romantic to say that an entrepreneur made it and you know, um, and now from zero to hundreds of employees. Those are beautiful stories, but it's one in a hundred who will make it. That's right. And you have to be prepared, not just financially, mentally, emotionally, um, you know, your family. And... I think that not everyone will be fully prepared. I wouldn't say that you have to be prepared from the list 1 to 10 before you start a a business, but you need to at least know that you'll survive for maybe a year. Go Mm. on a year with no salary. Can you do it or not? Mm. Be realistic about those things. Mm. And of course, um, most of the time, everyone thinks they have a great product. Mm. Uh, And (laughs) just like what Jack Ma said, which I love... um, Never sell your idea to your family and friends because they will either encourage you too much by saying, wow, you've got a wonderful product, even if it's not, mm. or they would pull you down. Before you even braved the, the public, they would have already emotionally torn you apart saying, who would ever buy this? Sh- mm. <laughs> you know, mm. um, <laughs> and, and, they, and you wouldn't have the spirit to move forward. So always test your idea and your product on strangers because if they're willing to um, leave their hard-earned money and give it to you, that is a true test of your first step of success, Mm. that they are willing to pay for this product or service that you're about to give them Mm. and they see value in it. Mm. And and how... um uh, so so yeah, you, you mentioned that yeah, you had what a year prepared where yeah. Actually, I kind of started the same way. In fact, I think I went I I ran about eighteen months without salary. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so you kind of started the same way. But uh, when when I first started WAP, I also started small, right? So like strategically, I said let's try this first. How was it like for you? Like how how did you first start? Because obviously, I know you run like it's it's a pretty decent sized chain now. But when you first started, like. How did you strategically try to approach it? Like, what do you start first? And, and why do you choose to say, let's start this? 
the easiest at that time was to start an online company mm. uh, as the internet was growing uh, Facebook was very relevant we started to sell the juices online mm. and we had a small uh, first floor office mm. so I was literally the customer service I would open the door for all our production team to come in at 8 a.m. to start juicing <laughs> I would deal with the suppliers I would pay off the invoices um, so it was a one-man show that's how real entrepreneurs wow. start you started also you sold juices online yes that was how we so started. we sold it online and we were very we were making very decent money because the overhead was very low um, the cost of goods were pretty decent and people kind of realize what we do and mm. it we were riding on a global phenomenon so mm. uh, the juice business was growing around the world so the fmcgs couldn't make it because it has to be freshly made. Mm. So we had an opportunity where we could replicate and do what's happening in the US, what's very in in other countries, like Philippines was ahead of Malaysia. Mm. And so we were able to ride on that wave and be one of the first pioneers. Mm. And eventually it grew from there. So mm. we evolved from an online company to later on opening juice bars. Mm. And I think the survival of the brand after six years is and the message to almost all the companies is to keep evolving. Gone are the days where when I was in the university, people would talk about branding and they would talk about Coca-Cola. Mm. Um, and back then in Philippines, I also worked for Nokia, which mm. is nowhere to be found today. Mm. So giants can become nothing. Um, and big brands who used to have millions of marketing budget would, would dominate the airwaves because they were big. But because of social media, we were able to grow from an online to shops and eventually running what we run today because people know quality and they're willing to pay and they're willing to talk about it. Right. So I think the big difference is starting a company 10 years ago and, and today, you've got the internet as your big brother mm. to help you no matter how small you are mm. no matter what kind of entrepreneur you are you can suddenly become an agency and put maybe a thousand ringgit behind your facebook post and and hope that more people see you back then if you had a thousand ringgit you go to ag any agency nobody wants to talk to you nobody can do anything for you so the beauty of that allows more entrepreneurs. Mm. I think it allows more people to dream. It allows more people to research mm. what they want to do. Mm. So very thankful that uh, we started the business at the age of the internet. Mm. And that was how we all started. It, it started online and became juice bars. Juice bars became cafes. And then cafes spun new brands out mm. uh, eventually. So you start to be able to take economies of scale so if you have a supplier you kind of can get better pricing if mm. we were already taking chicken for La Juicera Superfoods we start to take chicken for for Super Saigon mm. and Super Saigon uses a lot of beef and so suddenly I can do Australian beef right. at Superfood which we have right. never done before so right. that's why bigger companies grow bigger right mm. so it's how to scale up to a, a stage where you can kind of get better at pricing, at rental rates, at mm. um, even with employees. Uh, we have HR, we have our accounting team, we have our marketing team. They used to do marketing only for one brand, which is a juice brand. Suddenly, they can do marketing for a food company and then now for Super Saigon. So you're tapping economies of scale, not just for your suppliers, but also for your employees. And it's mm. exciting for them. Um, always think about yourself as somebody 
like me when I was in corporate. Mm. When I went there, I wanted to grow. Mm. Um, either grow not just financially, but knowledge-wise, uh, purpose-wise. And in order to keep feeding that to my employees, I continued to grow other brands. Um, and it was very exciting for them. And it was very exciting for me. Mm. Um, this, I think, allows people to learn new things. Mm. You reach new kind of customers because uh, what we always have in mind is if I couldn't feed this guy La Juceria, can I feed him Super Saigon? If I don't feed him Super Saigon, can I feed him Hawker Hall? <laughs> uh, and it will continue that way. And I think that none of the brands today should ever be complacent or relaxed mm. or happy with what they have because the world changes so fast. Mm. Um, you know, when Insta Stories wasn't there and back then we've had this other... What's that app? I can't even... Is, that, is it uh, the, TikTok, the latest one? No, no. TikTok is, is still very relevant. The other one. Snapchat. Snapchat. Yes, oh, yes, Snapchat. that one. That's right. So, oh, thank you. So being the oldie that I am, I knew Snapchat was very happening. I installed it. Uh-huh. I tried to create an account, but for the life of me, I couldn't understand how oh, it yeah, works. Oh, yeah. I, I tried Snapchat. I tried, yeah. I tried my very, very best only because I knew we have to be relevant as a brand. Right. So I didn't get it. <laughs> We yeah. still have a Legisera account, which is untouched. Right. But the moment Insta Story, Instagram took that idea and implemented it, I, I, to be honest, I have no Snapchat. But Insta Stories, I'm very active. Mm. So these are things where we cannot relax mm. at every success that we have. Mm. We continue to evolve um, and we continue to be relevant where we are. If the economy is not good, what do we churn out so mm. that the people can still eat what we do. Mm. Um, if we, if the economy is good, then what do we churn out so that we can feed the higher level, uh, middle, upper class uh, of people? So we continue to think of what we can do to stay relevant in the next month. Uh, mm. I think it's, it's never about we made it because we have not. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, and, and it's interesting because you mentioned that as you, as you grew, obviously you... Uh, in a way, you have to be really clever how to scale, right? Because it's all about economies of scale. Like, oh, because you study all the beef and therefore now you can branch out into that. At the same time, when you first started, you also saw the advantages of being small because you kind of mentioned that, well, a lot of big FMCG companies can't do fresh juice. So that's where we are going to kind of attack that space, right? So, so there are advantages, it seems, of being small and being big, right? Yes, yes. I yeah. totally agree. Uh, it's... It's taking advantage of where you are, right? Mm. Um, you realize the opportunity. I think people have to be clear before they sell something or create a service. Be very clear of what your customer will be, the persona of the customer mm. uh, or the, the character and mm. who, will, who will be willing to leave their money and give it to you and take that service. Mm. So when you're small, take advantage of the things that you can be, you know, you're agile, you're fast, you could create promotions that, you know, people won't take it against you. But like at the size that we are now, when we roll out a promotion, we have to be very sensitive about it cannot be just for one outlet. And now we want to, last time when I want to do something to one outlet, it's so easy, but now we've got multiple outlets going. We have to upgrade the system before we can accept, let's say this promotion. So there are advantages of being small, uh, make full use of it. Right. Uh, and if you are big, you also don't rest at what you do and you start to think of other opportunities if you can. Mm. So when at the size of La Juceria, we were um, 
enjoying the benefits of creating a brand and people had you know we had a good following um it's a cash business because it's fnb and so the question was with all this team talented people that we have what else do we do i mean it's not just keep opening la Jusera, right we're we're tapping on the same people mm. the customers who come are the health conscious the people who want to live longer mm. people who want quality food mm. how many are they in malaysia how mm. about how about we tap into a market where Look, the Malays want to eat pho, mm. but most of the pho places or Vietnamese places are non-halal. Oh. So where do they go? Oh, they got no place to go. That's so right. then you start to think around that and mm. say, how about we create a brand around that? And after that, it was, guys, not everybody eats La Jusera superfood. Not everyone wants Vietnamese-style food. How about we make a Malaysian brand, mm. a brand that resonates with every Malaysian who will never look for any other thing after this. So that that's how we that's kind of how came. you started Hawker Hall, yes, right? Yes, it's still a baby yeah. today. <laughs> uh, and we have big dreams for it. Right, yeah. right. And and so um uh I have a question about because when I when we kind of research your background, my understanding is not only were you from corporate environment, but you were in tech companies, um doing a lot of product management. Product marketing, yes. Product, product marketing, management and product marketing. Product yes. management, product marketing. Yes. How did that experience translate to starting an F&B business? Was there, was there anything that kind of helped? Because, and which, which comes to a second question, I'm being greedy this question now. But um, because you've never started F&B business before, how do you even know what to do next? Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Just like all entrepreneurs, they, yeah. don't know. they don't know. They don't know the answer. Every entrepreneur is like a person jumping off a plane and forming up their parachute as they fall. Oh, you yeah, know? Right. So that is um, entrepreneurship. Nobody has the complete answer or a complete business plan before they start anything. Mm. But going back to the first question, um, I've always been in tech uh, but my family background is that my mom ran factories uh, doing food business. Mm. Uh, and it was never something that was sexy nor attractive. Uh, and eventually, while I was on my journey of uh, in technology, my sister started a F&B business back in Manila and mm. they were raking in the profits. Mm. So they were always telling me, start something, start something in KL. But I knew I wasn't a local. Mm. So I... W- I knew from the beginning, if I were to do this, I want business partners. Business partners will speak Cantonese, speak Malay, know how to deal with you know, the government mm. or, or all the licensing mm. stuff that need, that's needed mm. to run a business in KL. Um, but working in corporate, uh, doing product marketing, only allows you to see the picture of why branding is so important. Mm. Branding is important across the globe, not just for tech, for luxury, for anything, but in everything that we do. Um, The moment you walk into the door, people start looking at you. That's already branding. They want to judge you based on, do I want to talk to you? Do I not want to talk to you? If you're presenting in front, do I want to listen to this guy or do I not want to listen? So branding goes beyond than just the material, but it's everything when people judge you with the first impression. So... Same goes for all my, you know, all, if I were invited to talks about marketing, I always share 
two pictures. One picture would be a normal bag and another one would be a Louis Vuitton branded, you know, with everything else. And if you ask any lady, any decent uh, lady will definitely choose the other one which has a brand, the even brand, though yeah. the purpose is the same. Yeah. Um, the amount of weight that it can carry is the same. Mm. So people will always choose brands over non-branded, especially in a bad economy. Mm. Uh, if you only had 20 bucks in your pocket, I'm betting you if you were to buy food, you would prefer to buy it from something that some place that guarantees you quality, mm. guarantees you that um, it, it's something that won't let you down, mm. uh, especially when that is your last 20 bucks. Mm. Um, and so that is where the difference, where it will kick in eventually. Maybe at, uh, at the beginning, people will be having price wars, for example. Let's talk about let's say a Buddha bowl, uh, mm. which is a vegetarian rice bowl with a lot of veggies in it. But at the end of the game, it's about whose brand recall will be uh, more impactful or they have seen it more often or more locations or more credible. So branding is not just about the logo, but it's about everything that goes around it. And so that is the biggest learning for working for Microsoft, from HP, from Nokia, uh, from even at BFM, they branded their stuff very well. Mm. So I think people will remember you more over other things. And as we grow more busy, you know, we've got TikTok, Facebook, and all these things. How do you stay relevant, right? In a yes. market where Generation Z thinking is very different from the Gen X, mm. how do you stay relevant? It's mm how to make your brand long lasting and you mm. keep evolving, you keep partnering with relevant brands um, and you keep reaching out. So whenever we create something, it's not about, oh, I, I want to attract the young people who are yoga and, and gym buffs. Mm. I wanted to create a brand that will be relevant to the, the aunties, mm. the, the Tai Chi people, uh, the, the, the workout people, the bodybuilders, and even the Chinese families, the Malay girls who will, you know, the gang of, of ladies. These will always be in mind. And so be clear of your customers. Um, and I think that uh, working in corporate allows you to think big. Right. Uh, but then you realize the moment you left, I'm Annabelle with no other title. So it's very humbling. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you learn the lessons of being in the corporate. Yes. Take the lessons that you can learn from bigger jobs yes. and apply where you can. Uh, and eventually, hopefully, it will help you build a brand of your own. Yes, I, I, I agree 100%. So I, I used to be from... Um, the reason I asked you this question was I am also from a corporate background. I did, did it for 10 years. And um, I had that same experience when I first came out. Right? So I used to be director of this, you yes. know, for example, right? of this like big British company uh -huh. and people would talk to me because of because, my title yes. or my brand, right? Even if they didn't know me. But when I first came out and I, I remember, you know, having our first few meetings with some like potential employers and the way they treated me was a shock in a way. Like I wasn't, I wasn't used to people talking to me in yeah. such a way because I always had this big brand behind me yep. and, and it was, it was very humbling. Yes. And, and that kind of, you could say that it was a moment where I kind of woke up and I mm -hmm. realized that, hey, you know, like that was just a job title. That's just a company. It's not really me. And I have to start something from scratch all over again. Yes. And it does, like, it does hit the ego. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> so as part of that journey, um, I said it took me two years to, to build La Juceria. 
and before BFM, I did uh, I worked for a training company. Mm. So a couple of Microsoft guys left, and they started a training company, and they got very big clients like Air Asia, Hong Leong Bank. Um, and Digi, so they needed trainers uh, mm. because they got more deals and more deals. So I had free time. I was a consultant, and I did training in their behalf mm. uh, for certain modules. And it was a very humbling moment because you realize that all the things that you know is now gone, mm. and you are just Annabelle, the trainer. Mm. And I had to digest their materials and deliver it at the best way possible. So um, humbling moments remind you that you can start all over again mm. and that you can learn many things. And this is important to entrepreneurs because the moment you feel relaxed, the moment you feel that you've made it, that's when it starts to be dangerous. Like for F&B who have made it mm. and haven't kept up the quality, mm. there's still room to be gone in the next few years. Mm. Um, and so I always remember those painful moments because mm. it's a realization that it's suddenly Annabelle from nowhere uh, ah. with no title, with no brand, with no nothing. Uh, and and now when you build your own, you can be very proud when people know what you do mm. because of what you did, what mm. you created and not because of a giant company behind you. So mm. this is, I guess, the most one of the most worthwhile moments uh, as an entrepreneur to have your brand recognized by other people that is beyond, uh, I would say, beyond any any feeling that you could get for any job title that you can get mm. um, in, in the big corporate jobs. Mm. Do you have any like specific tips or ways how you approach branding, like how you see branding? Okay, uh, branding, I think, you know, in the world of in the internet, there are many tips out there, isn't it? You can Google it up mm. and you can check out all the tips. But it's for SME mostly uh, what and this message I always deliver to everybody and every opportunity that I have is that most SMEs don't see branding as important mm. because the, all the other things are more important like operations. You have to hire, you have to have staffing, you have to have good cost of goods. But at the end of the day, I, and I would say the, the especially the Chinaman style. Mm. Huh? Mm. The Chinaman style is no branding. No branding. Uh, just my make price, money. yes, just make money. <laughs> the price will speak for itself. Right. The the quality will speak for itself. But they forget that people want to be associated to brands. Mm. Uh, and if they, as SME, learn how to put aside certain amount. Of course, branding is not free. Branding mm. takes money, either in product form or in cash form or in advertising form. It still takes effort and money to create. Mm. And that will be one of the tips, I think, for SMEs. Even though you are small, you can think big. Even mm. though you are small, you can design better. So those are the things that will bring you from, from an, a normal SME to a better SME. Uh, and, and eventually, it will pay off. But you don't know when and you don't know how. Mm. You don't know in what amount it will pay off, but you just, it will get you there because mm. the big boys are doing it. Mm. Uh, every, so working for HP, Nokia, and Microsoft, these three brands are giant brands mm. at, uh, in their own days. Mm. And yet, as giant brands from the US and from Finland, they put a marketing office in every damn country to run marketing. Mm. So that says a lot about branding. Mm. Uh, even though their technology doesn't 
it doesn't get changed in the country that they have an office. It's just mm. you are a marketing office. Mm. So that says a lot about big brands trying to survive. And if you are a small brand doing nothing on marketing, don't expect it to last forever because, mm. um, yes, of course, it's important that your quality stays good and that your pricing is great. But if people um, don't want to spend on your brand emotionally, there is no connection, uh, there is no recall, by tomorrow they can replace you with other things. So mm. once you get that connection, then it becomes uh, nostalgic. You know how you know until today, kopitiams is a very close thing to, to Malaysians yes. because that's your culture. Mm. Um, for me, being in Manila, I have my own culture. So mm. these cultural things will never go away mm. and you will tend to emotionally spend on it because mm. it feels good you mm. feel you feel the memories coming back so mm. this is what you want to build with your customers even mm. though it doesn't translate into cash immediately right okay and and so when you first started the business and i think you mentioned that one of the turning points of your life was when you became a mother right and you wanted to start a business and i was surprised at this comment because um you say you want to start a business so that you could have more time do you have more time? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't immediate. Right. But now, yes. Now, yeah. Yes, okay. Yes. Okay. And I would encourage it to every woman out there who wants to have more time with their children down the road. Right. Uh, entrepreneurship doesn't mean it's tomorrow, right? Mm. But then eventually, when you set the momentum going, you start to hire more people and mm. you start to hire smart people. Mm. And, and just like Steve Jobs, they start to hire very smart people to run the company so that it can keep moving forward. Mm. Uh, and luckily, I had very good business partners. That's one. Two, you start to invest. So mm. instead of you reaping in all the money, mm. you start to invest on growing your team. Mm. And once your team is more established, mm. then you have more time for yourself. So... Mm. Uh, back then, I needed to take uh, a two weeks leave for Microsoft to fly to Europe every every year because mm. my husband is French. We spent summer vacation in France, mm. and it was very painful to mm. apply for that two weeks leave. Mm. You know, you have to go through you have you mm. have to go mm. through the motions. Oh, yeah. And now, after six years building your own company, you take a leave whenever you want. Nobody mm. asks any questions. Oh, because right? you approve your because you approve your own leave. <laughs> so, so this is where the freedom that I wanted years ago and you will get there eventually but the the message of every entrepreneur is the same the beginning is hard the beginning will be tough mm. it will not be easy it's not an easy road ahead mm. and once you learn that it's okay you know it didn't feel as hard as it was because mm. i was very excited we were all geared up um and don't be afraid of that word hard. And it's most of the time, why employees stay as employees is because they are afraid of that word. They are afraid of failing. They are mm. afraid of hardship. They'd mm. rather take the easy way out. So mm. again, no, um, there's no right or wrong. I mm. think some of them are really built to be really good employees and they climb up the ladder and they really got all the perks, which mm. I think is great. Mm. But some will be built to come out and do their own thing. And build their own thing, right? Yeah. And um, one of the, I mean, I, I, I mentioned this because sometimes when I ask people, oh, why do you want to start your own business? And then people do say that, oh, because I want more flexibility and freedom. And, uh, <laughs> but it, that, and, and I'm very glad that it worked out for you. But, I, but most people I find have the complete opposite. 
like they tend to work like super hard, but they don't mind it because it's like this is their own oh, business. Definitely, right? I yeah. would say that most of the time, ninety percent of the time, I think they will find themselves with thinking about the business twenty four seven. There's less time because this is now. Every rental, every moment, every vacation leave, everything is all you, right? Yeah. So you never stop thinking about your business. But that is where uh, partners and people is very important. So hiring the right employees, uh, partnering up with the right people allows you to have that freedom. Mm. Uh, and it's how you strategize it so that it can reach a point that you can have more time. Right. So. Because maybe I had that as one of my goals, so very you clearly. Really ahead. I How really you planned right. um, at least with my business partners. We had all the same very clear aspirations. Mm. Everyone had a young family. Mm. Uh, their children and my children are all almost the same age, very young age, um, and we all knew that we wanted to grow at a pace that is comfortable for all of us. And once your partnership is very clear on the goals and dreams and aspirations, then it becomes a comfortable place. But then there will be people, uh, it's important to still have those people who push you forward, who, who, who put ideas in your mind that mm. what if we can become bigger? What if we can do better? Mm. Uh, so a good balance. Um, in, in the old days of marketing, and I've shared this several times in all my talks, uh, there are four Ps, product, place, promo, and price. Mm. But the last two Ps that marketing never covered, at least back when I was in my uni days, is people and partners. Mm. People allows you, your employees allow you to have that time. Mm. Um, the partnership also allows you to grow further mm. than what you can grow. Mm. Uh, and partners is not just business partners, collaboration partners, family partners at home, uh, your, your loved ones who are supporting you. Um, these two would be, I would say, what helps every entrepreneur succeed even further, mm. apart from just delivering a very good product you know, in the right place, in the right promo and pricing. Mm. So keep that in mind. Choose your partners wisely. Mm. Uh, choose your employees wisely mm. because they can make or break, uh, either give you more time or give you less time, right? Because you have so much headache. <laughs> the, the deal with them, right? Yeah. So uh, on, on that note, because um, it sounds like one of the key things uh, in order to have more time if you're doing business is to empower your people, right? Um, so do you have um, any specific advice how you would do that? Like how do you make someone that's your employee, right, have the kind of commitment, you know, to their roles that you can kind of let go and can believe that they would run it almost just as good as if it was you? The only way to do that is to allow them to make the mistakes. Mm. And of course, there are certain things that is easier to let people make mistakes and still recover from it. But there are other things that cannot be done. So an example would be social media. You don't want to entrust a social media to your most new junior employee <laughs> to reply in behalf of the company. Yeah. Please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for example, um, I've had marketing staff that our new graduates who eventually joined us and have been with me for four years, mm. uh, four and a half years. So they grew from being very um, junior mm. to starting to learn my style and eventually they, need, they knew how to make decisions on their own. Mm. So there were bad decisions along the way, 
but then you re-emphasize what was the learning why would Annabelle do it differently? Why should you, you know? So you go through that. It's just like an MBA with them or like a university. Mm. Uh, and if you could afford to let go of some things which might have mistakes, but there will be learnings and mm. it will allow you to have more time, I think that was the only way of getting out and, and being able to have that moment with my children that I said I wanted from the very, very beginning. Mm. So for people who are growing, um, if their business allows them to hire people who are experienced or at least somebody who come from the same field, they should do it. Mm. I'm not saying poaching. Eh? I'm, right. just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying there will always be people who are a graduate of something. So a very clear example. Yeah. Starbucks has been churning out awesome employees because they have this American system where they empower employees, they train them up really well. Um, I wouldn't say that the salary is so crazy that you can't even hire them. It's just that it's a, an institution. Everyone wants to be related to Starbucks. The branding is awesome. Mm. Um, and eventually, there are employees who were trained up so well in there, they had no more room for growth mm. because it's a hierarchy. And they were well-trained and you could enjoy that training by hiring them in uh, because they're looking for their own growth. Mm. So these are opportunities that I feel companies can go out there and look into. Maybe not exactly in the same field, but in the same kind of, let's say, a, an accounting in a manufacturing comes into an F&B. That's the other thing that we're doing now. Um, we are looking into mature people who have... Uh, worked in other industries and have not found the growth anymore or mm. the excitement. You know, after 10 years, after five years, they're just so tired. Um, the salary, of course, it's important that they draw an X amount of salary. Mm. But there are other considerations. Malaysians want a place where it's not too far from their home, a place where they can relate to, a place that they can be proud of. So everyone has a different stage in life and a different reason for leaving their current jobs to go to another job mm. uh, and if you are a growing brand and you can afford to have better employees you mm. should because mm. if you do that it allows you to scale in terms of time in terms of brand in terms of gaining from their experiences mm. okay I, i'm gonna move to like slightly off topic sure. for a while i'm really curious because we're talking about time right do you have any specific daily routines or morning routines that you practice that you find really useful? Uh, I wake up very early. Um, How early do you? Six, six, oh, yeah, early? because oh. of my kids. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think all the mothers <laughs> will know. So you wake up. Um, I, I think morning mornings are always the best. Um, I first I don't. I don't drink, you know, so a lot, despite being married to French, uh, my husband also doesn't drink a lot. Oh, okay. So we, we barely drink, uh, so we don't have late nights, you know. Okay. We, if we do have late nights, it's Netflix or right, other stuff. Right. Um, and I'm a morning person, even before I started my business, I've always enjoyed mornings because it's just, it's just you know, the sun is getting up, um, the energy is still complete, you know, you, ha you haven't been bogged down by all the emotional, physical or or mental stuff mm. and you're very fresh and ready to go mm. um, I'm, I'm also the type of person who always enjoyed breakfast more than dinner because I think dinners are overrated I know when there are occasions people want to celebrate on dinner but I celebrated my birthdays all the time for breakfast mm. because it's the start of the day so somehow I feel that morning people get 
the routine up and running uh, much earlier and so the energy is very different from uh, I know that there are people who are night people they mm. they are function better at night mm. um, they are they enjoy you know being in in the spirit of 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 evenings mm. or or late nights when everyone's sleeping already mm. uh, but I think physically the body is built to be you know to enjoy sunlight mm. and then just mm. like all plants like all living things are affected by sunlight mm. and so you have more energy to to really think through mm. uh, so I'm a morning person I highly recommend it to everybody who's not a morning person mm. to try it out mm. because it's very different you, it's hard to describe um, what that feeling is unless you go out and do it you go to eat breakfast so early or you go out on, on runs in the morning or you go even if I have the chance to do my yoga in the morning I would although it's rarely nowadays okay. I do it in the evening mostly the evening uh, okay. but if I do it in the morning you just feel it's so different so this is a routine that I would I would wake up early and I have breakfast. Maybe mm. I might skip lunch because of you know matters or too busy that is so close to dinner that ah uh, forget it. Let's mm. just eat dinner after. But the morning breakfast is so important because that starts off your ritual. That starts off your energy mm. in terms of uh, getting it right, feeling mm. good about what could happen in the day. Mm. So do you do any form of exercise in the morning? Uh, no, so unless I have free time uh, right. on that day, then I would do a 7.15 yoga at the yoga place that I, I go to. If not, then I would do it in the evening. But I do see the difference. The morning is just so energizing. It's really amazing to start your day. And, and I think that point of achievement, when you're already in the middle of a meeting at lunch and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I already did my yoga today. Mm. That, that gives you that, that powerful feeling that, I could achieve so much in a day. Mm. You know, if only I had more than 24 hours in a day, I would do even more. Mm. So that, that piece of success that people feel helps to drive them to do even more. And so you got to taste that first success. And that's why there, you know, there's this, this video that says, do your bed every morning because oh, yeah, it's your first yeah, yeah. achievement of the that's day. Right. But I don't, uh, to be honest, I don't, you don't I, do no, that. no, I'm, I'm a breakfast. <laughs> I would make my coffee in my coffee machine. I would do my breakfast, <laughs> but sometimes I make the bed so that I don't make the bed. So, so yeah. But, but I, I guess it's like, it's the concept, right? Yes. Like, it's the concept right, of, of having an achievement an in the achievement, morning. Right. And then like building momentum after yes. that. Um, I, I'm going back to F&B, right. For, and, and, and your experience doing that. Uh, so, can you tell us a bit about, um, I, I, I always get this thing when I ask, uh, especially a young person for some reason, right? I ask him, what's your dream? Yes. Like, what, do you, what, what do you dream of doing uh -huh. one day? And one of the most common answers, I guess, oh, one day I hope to have my own cafe. It is so much more common <laughs> than you can imagine. I, I, like, I, 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 can, I could bet that if I walked out and I spoke to like, say 10 people, like six or seven of them would say this. But... I suspect they are probably misunderstanding what it means to run a cafe. So, could you help clarify, <laughs> uh, in your opinion, um, what does it mean to run a cafe? How, how difficult it is and, and what do you think people misunderstand? Yes, uh, I always get the same answer. You know, I meet young people, uh, especially those who apply for jobs in La Juiceria. They would say, I want to own a cafe one day. You know, 50% of them would say the same thing. The others, if too young, oh, I don't know what my dream is. <laughs> but um, yeah, th there's always this romantic notion, the sexy notion of owning a cafe mm. for some reason. 
and I always warn everybody. If you think it's wow to own a cafe, wait until you run it. And true enough, I think when the economy was very good, I would say in 2000, maybe 2016, mm. uh, 17, around that time, mm. a lot of new cafes come around mm. and they are not around anymore today mm. because it takes more than a beautiful coffee machine, mm. a beautifully designed ambiance and a well-crafted menu to run F&B. Uh, all kinds of problems as you know entrepreneurship you will get problems that you never imagined before mm. from suppliers to employees theft dbkl coming um, <laughs> immigration coming uh, uh, customers getting an accident in your premise oh, so all these things are are i would say part of the journey and once you're prepared for all of that, then definitely, yes, open a cafe. Just be mindful that it goes beyond your coffee machine and your cooking area mm. because that won't be the only problems that you will have. Uh, and the beauty of, of cafe business is that people always think that everyone needs to eat mm. and all Malaysians like to eat out. Mm. And true enough, they don't like to cook at home. It's not very Western. Uh, and people all want to hang out in cafes. So I think that's the romantic notion. Uh, but if you think of it, how do you drive customers to your cafe? How do you stay relevant? How do you make sure your employees stay with you? How do you make sure they follow the procedure? How do you make sure that your costing is correct? Mm. How do you um, manage your... Uh, employee cost, rental cost, utilities cost, uh, cost of goods. These are the growing things. And later on, they find themselves, oh my gosh, I have accounting issues. I don't have proper HR. I didn't pay off the uh, HRDF, you know, all the so-so. And then you get penalties on top of that. So it takes a lot to run one. Mm. And the first is always the hardest. But later on, when you scale up, you mm. realize after you learn everything from licensing or from DBKL license to signages to all of this, after you've learned it, it's time to put it on to the second outlet. So that's how you kind of so scale. So it gets easier. It gets easier. Right, but right. the first will always have a lot of learning. So just be ready. If right. you are ready for a cafe, you're ready to spend XX hundreds and thousands or a million, it doesn't end there. Mm. Because after you put it up, the problem starts when you operate. Mm. Not when you bought it, not mm. when you've staffed the person, mm. not when you open your door, but when the customer starts coming in, mm. that's when it all starts. It mm. starts from uh, your equipment's failing. Uh, why is there no customer coming in? Oh, my staff didn't show up that day. Mm. Um, uh, the bomba came to check our license. Mm. If we have this bomba, we have a fire extinguisher. Uh, and then you start to have invoices of suppliers that, oh my God, did I pay for this or did I not pay for this yet? Uh, and then you have wastages, which mm. is I don't have enough customers. I'm throwing out a lot of garbage. Right. Uh, so a lot of realities of running the food business. Mm. Uh, and I haven't even reached the customer part yet, yeah. which is uh, you've got all <laughs> kinds of, thing. yes, you've got all <laughs> kinds of customers, especially in La Jusser. Is this gluten-free? How much calories is this? Can you make it no peanuts? I've got a peanuts allergy. The amount of personalities that come in yeah. will be one of the things that you have to address. Yeah. And, if you don't address it well, they won't come back. 
So yeah. it's very expensive to acquire new customers. It's yeah. very, uh, it's cheaper to to kind of make it up to to old customers who are uh, who already know your brand, who, mm. who already know you exist there. Mm. So then, wait a minute. And now I need marketing. I need mm. a, a person to reply to all my Google reviews, my TripAdvisor review, my reviews on Facebook, my reviews on Instagram, their complaints. So now we've got all these avenues. So in the old days, F&B was simple. The guy opens up a mamak, you know, come, <laughs> come, uh, you pay me, I pay my supplier. That's it's a done it, deal. Right. But now you've got to deal with all these people from all walks of life, not only real customers, now we've got grab food, now we've got customer uh, leaving their comments and questions about menu pricing, what are your hours from all avenues. Wow. Uh, so you find yourself quickly overwhelmed mm. by the needs internally mm. and externally. Mm. So just, I wouldn't say just be prepared, just be prepared that you won't know everything right. and that you will learn it along the way. That's like, yeah, it's like, it's really tough, right? And then, and, and in particular, because like Juiceria, you target like the affluent market a little bit more. Yes. And affluent, as well, as far as I know, uh, you know, they're demanding. probably a bit more demanding and they're not shy to tell you what they want. Yes. Right? And yeah. uh, it's important that uh, all the staff, I, would, I mm. would say at least employees should believe and understand that customer feedback is the most important thing of all. And, if you see it in a negative way, oh my gosh, we've got all these avenues like Instagram, Messenger, uh, Google Messages, uh, reviews all coming in. But as an entrepreneur, I tell them we are very lucky because customers are telling us what they think immediately and we can work on it. Um, if customers leave us something, it means they want to come back. That's why they even told you to your face that this thing is sucks or their service sucks at this area or could you please improve your this portion or, or whatever the dish is because they want to come back. In the old days, you had to fill up a form praying that this form reaches the headquarters. Headquarters, they open it up and tell the boss, like, boss, they got problem in uh, your Subang outlet. The kitchen is always bloody blah, blah, blah. Mm. So now it's instantaneous and... I think the most dangerous part is when people don't leave a feedback. Mm. When you don't, when you one day walk into your cafe realizing, why is there no customer? You don't even know what's wrong. Nobody wants to tell you what's wrong. Your employees don't know what's wrong. So that to me is the most dangerous thing. So if you're running F&B or other businesses, please be open to feedback. 100%, because, yeah. because the more you hear the more you know what to work on. Mm. And of course, it's overwhelming for your employees and for yourself. But wouldn't you rather know than not know? Mm. So I find that that's uh, advantageous to businesses now. So embrace it because that's one way you can quickly make improvements and go with, you know, with the times and, and, mm. and quickly change things. Mm. It's one of the things that uh, is a personal learning for me, like getting feedback. Because when I first started the company, it's very easy to associate the feedback like you take it very personally yes it's very easy right and and it was a bit uncomfortable in the beginning i, I had some uh situations where um like feedback was meant well and i didn't take it well and 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 i'm learning you know how to deal with all this and like you said like the only way to get better is to know what's wrong right yes and criticism is always hard uh i i would say even until today uh, you take it personally because you created the brand, mm. uh, especially if you are the brand. Mm. Uh, but when you realize that you can only improve because of this feedback, 
then you start to welcome them. And so whenever I see customers and I'm at the outlet and I see people, you, I would find myself tending to say, if there's anything that you would like or to feedback, please feel free to let me know. Um, I've got people who would ask our managers for my mobile number and they would they would try very hard not to give my number away. And then when they gave it away, they're like, ma'am, I'm so sorry I gave your number to this regular guy. He really wants to text you. I said, look, if people really want it, give it because they want to reach out to me for feedback. Mm. Either good or bad, it doesn't matter. The important thing is you're hearing from the people on the ground who wants to give your, their money to you, but mm. they want you to improve. They want you to fix something so they can come back. Mm. Uh, and I think this is really a blessing. Mm. Um, and the more you feed on that feeling that, please let me know, please let me know, um, you become better. You mm. become better and you just realize it one day when you wake up that, oh my gosh, it, it it made us better. It made us yep. better. Um, yeah. And and like I said, it's not easy to take uh-huh. criticism, uh, but it helps you improve. Um, and I remember my one of my first really emotional criticism moment was on BFM. Mm. Uh, I wasn't built to be a, a radio host or, or a, a radio producer. It was more for fun, you know, trying in between times, trying right. to figure out what I wanted right. to do after Microsoft. And so I did my first uh, interview on, on, on the radio. Mm. So I interviewed a guy. Um, they played it on the radio. And my friend called me and said, Oh my God, Annabelle, was that you? I said, Yes, that was me. It was so terrible. That was the worst interview I've ever heard uh. from BFM. I said, I know. It sounded so bad uh. that I worked and worked and worked until I get better at mm. it. And, and so these are the moments that at that time, of course, it was embarrassing. It right. was emotionally draining. But you recover from it mm. and you start to aim higher. Mm. Um, and I think in all manifestations, if you read about manifestations in the world, how the universe works, usually there's a dip. There's a big failure, a big dip before mm. you go, get up into your enlightening moment or in that moment where you achieve greater things. So in as simple as before you can get successful, you need to learn the ropes, you need to go through a humbling moment. Mm. Uh, I think this is what part of the entrepreneurship journey is and mm. it's the same for employees. Mm. Uh, if you're an employee, if you're, you will always be judged and graded on your annual reviews based on your performance. And if you take it the right way, you, you take the feedback and you improve yourself so that you can manage more people, mm. get higher salary, more responsibilities. But if you take it the wrong way, then you're like, you know, to hell with this. Let yeah. me go find another job. And then you keep on being lateral. And then you're stuck, right? And then you're you stuck. Yeah, and then yeah. you're stuck. And you wake up one day, why am I still an engineer or this role mm. and mm. I haven't gone up? So mm. whether entrepreneurship or as a professional, as a working professional, take criticism as something that will help improve yourself. It's hard to swallow, but you will not regret it after. Nice. And on the, on the note of like starting new F&B companies, uh, F&B ventures, um, I'm very curious about Hawker Hall. Because uh, I know you launched it really recently. Yeah, in August. Uh, yeah. yeah in August. <laughs> I've tried, you know, I'm a big fan of like Juiceria, I'm a big fan of Super Saigon. I haven't tried Hawker Hall yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm very curious as to, and I think you shared a glimpse of this process earlier. But 
why hawker hall? Like what? Why this? So so you you first started with like fresh juice, and then you move on to like healthy food in mm-hmm. general, and then I think you mentioned a bit like because you were ordering beef, and then somehow you went into like Vietnamese food. Yes. But how did Vietnamese food move into like Malaysian hawker food? Huh? Uh, well, we've always wondered how can we touch more lives, mm. and with the brands that we do. There's no way to force feed a certain personality into a lajuseria if they have never been concerned about their health and they really want to eat local food and their budget is really 10 to 12 ringgit. So one of the branding exercise was, look, guys, it's not correct to force our brand to go down to a 9 ringgit dish, for example, um, knowing that our target market was never that. So it was a challenge to our own team to mm. say, how about we create a totally new brand mm. that will address this market, this market who would never walk into a Lajuseria, who will never go into Super Saigon, but they want their Chakwe Diao and they want their Laksa, they want Sarawak Laksa, they want Roti with the Kaya Toast and mm. the local coffee. So we realized that let's capture that segment. Mm. And to do that, we had to recreate everything from scratch, which is to create a brand called Hawker Hall. And mm. Hawker Food, being what it is, is nostalgic. It's something that is close to the heart of Malaysians. It's something that's not foreign. You know, you talk mm. about La Juseria, what is a what super is food? <laughs> what is a pho? You know, maybe there's still Malaysians out there who will understand. But if I tell them Hawker, impossible that they won't know roughly what it is mm. and a nasi lemak barampa will mm. always be relevant mm. to every Malaysian mm. so the dream was to take all the experiences that we have and put it under one house which mm. is this brand will house multiple brands that is relevant in the Malaysian market so inside Hawker Hall you'll find nasi lemak it, and this is our most ambitious project yet mm. open 7.30am all the way to 1am wow 7.30 it serves breakfast Roti, those kaya toast with egg, a croissant with kaya toast inside. Lunch, it churns out charkway tiao and other food like laksa. And evening, we've got uh, gourmet burgers. Uh, and evening, we operate beer. Right. So this is our first foray into doing something that is beyond what we used That's to so do. We wanted to see the dynamics of what if the food is really... Uh, it's a pork-free place. Um, we use halal certified ingredients, just mm. like what we do in uh, Super Saigon and Superfood. But we wanted to create a place which is a night crowd. And let's be realistic. If you wanted to have night crowd all the way to 1 a.m., apart from food, mm. you got to have really good drinks. So we have a wide range of drinks, except that the only difference is we start to serve uh, beer mm. at night. Mm. And we still see a lot of people coming and it's really the most ambitious project yet because when I walk into Hawker Hall I would see one Malaysia I would see Malays with their Malay family I've seen Indians coming as a gang and we've got all these Chinese walking in despite that you know they know there's no pork in whatever we do so you see all these dynamics finally they can all sit together and eat and today I met another Malay girl and she said we love the brand because Mm. You know, we never can... We used to go to Madam Kwan, but it's quite high-priced. Price, and, right. and we can't go as often. Mm. And I want to eat Western food. She wants to eat laksa. And this girl wants to eat... And we never agree about places. Mm. And if it's 
And it's it feels like a place that we can get all kinds of things in a nice environment, oh, in a very modern cafe, uh, Instagrammable type. And we've got kiosk system, which mm. also allows you to order self ordering if you don't want to go to the POS area with the the staff there. Mm. So it's to kind of reinvent what hawker hall hawker stalls are, mm. but in a modern way. So it has always worked before, but how about you upgrade it to the next level? Mm. So. That's what we're trying to do, mm. and so far it's been a few months, and it's very promising. And we do have big dreams of having Hawker Hall two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, <laughs> hopefully, uh, and and make it relevant in different locations. So yeah. currently we have Korean fried chicken, mm. we've got Thai food mm. under Hawker Hall, we've got local Malaysian food. Um, and we chunked everything in there. Everything that we have always knew how to do, we all put it under Hawker Hall. Mm, sounds so interesting. So, so basically, instead of like a one-size-fits-all approach to like F&B, you're like thinking for this target market, that's the kind of like food and drink they should they are looking for. And for this target market, it's different. Yes. Right. Yes. So you have a very specialized experience. And I love how you're saying that. So at different times of the day, the, men, the menu at Hawker Hall changes significantly. Yes. Yes, wow, okay. so it goes with you know the morning operation, and then lunchtime they operate differently, and evening time they offer other things. So, in a way, that's kitchen planning. Mm. But for the customers, it's also when I come in the morning. You know, I mean, you you will be eat, you won't be eating the other heavy food, but you'll be eating all the breakfasty type of stuff. Mm. And then um, evening time, you would want to have a bit of you know people will want uh, fish and chips and with their beer, for example. Or this one of the other things that people always wanted. People the Chinese wanted char kway teow with their beer, mm. and then. The, the Malays would say, I've always wanted to eat char kway teow in a nice place, but, you know, it, they can't find... But it's typically yeah, non-halal, It's right? non-halal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of target very clearly the market that you want, hoping mm. that you're right. Mm. Uh, because until the day you open your doors and see transactions of hard-earned money coming into your doors, that's when you know maybe you're onto something and mm. you kind of continue to fix the issues. Of course, every new brand, oh, you can talk about all the problems we've had. We continue to fix, we continue to resolve because being a new brand with multiple cuisines and dishes, we've got all kinds of problems. So we're also figuring out our own way for Hawker right. Hall while Super Saigon and La Jusera is already, I would say, stable in in, in the customers, in the way that they, the system is working. But again, like the message earlier, you shouldn't be happy with, with that because mm. that means you're only attracting the same kind of people. So how do you evolve the company? How mm. do you bring it further? How do you make it exciting all over again? So, mm. so the, the busyness is to make these three relevant in their own markets mm. uh, and hoping that uh, a guy like you will order us a grab food or come to our place and either of the brands or all three of the brands mm. in the busy week um, because we are affordable, we're reachable, we're relevant um, and if you can't come to us, we can come to you. Yeah, 100%. Like I, uh, I'm sold on the whole hawker hall thing uh, because <laughs> one of the, so as, as a company, right, as a team, one of the things that I, I, find, I struggle to find is like a place that serves like halal food. Because, you know, we have like a, well, a diverse team, yes. right? And everyone's looking for different things. At the same time, I can have my beer. Yes. So, <laughs> so, so this, is, this is exactly what we are trying to resolve, right? Like right. there are many typical friendships or places where 
I, I myself, my marketing team, uh, I've got Malay nutritionists and I've got Chinese staff mm. and we always want to celebrate together yeah. and you always end up in these neutral cafes where, yeah. hey, look, this is not what they really want to eat. They're Malaysians. They yeah. want nasi lemak. She wants char kway teow. Yeah. And, you know, the other guy wants laksa. Yeah. And, and so... I can't bring them to the Chinese place, but we couldn't find a proper place. So you you know you're onto something when your own team, your own money wants to be spent in your own restaurant. Mm. And that is, again, another tip, I think, for people. If your own self, at the salary that you earn, or at least back then, would you impart your 20 ringgit to this brand? If you would keep going every week to this brand and spend your lunch money mm. or or weekend brunch money on this place, then you know you're onto something. So be a test of your own. If you found it too expensive, then something is already not right. Mm. Um, or if you found it too cheap, then maybe you're underpricing something. And if you didn't like something, then imagine all those people who are like you at mm. the same level of income, uh, education, they demand of the same things as mm. what you want, isn't mm. it? So mm. deliver what you would want mm. because then you can be proud of what you've built. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. So for those like, uh, if you're listening, if you're curious about Hawker Hall, um, as far as I know, it's, it's in Hatamas yes, right that's now, right. right? It's our first La Juicera juice bar. Right. So we kept it and we kept paying rental mm. despite the La Juicera juice bar was moved to uh, within Super Saigon down right. the street. Right. We always had a dream of creating another third brand. And so we kept paying rental for a year mm. on a place that didn't have anything except storage because we believed that we will make this new brand in a, a place where it's cheap to fail. Mm. So not inside the shopping mall. Mm. And so it's very nostalgic for us to have the first La Juicera juice bar turned mm. into Hawker Hall mm. and that's where it is. So mm. just in case you're looking for it on Google. Oh yeah, that's cool. Like would you, uh, at what point would you plan to expand it? Like is it ever going to be close to like say Tamantun, that's where oh, we are? Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. We've got a lot of plans for Hawker Hall and we've got a lot of calls from people, uh, real estate companies, oh. uh, shopping malls because they see it relevant, right? Mm. It's, it's very simple. Either it's a food court, which is the typical thing that I think we are all used to, or you house everything under one, which is they only deal with us, which is Hawker Hall. But mm. we run everything. Mm. And so we ha can ensure um, we make corrections where we feel needs to be corrected because if you run a real food court, this uncle decides they don't want to do, they don't want to come in. They decide they don't want to use quality products. You can't do anything. Yeah. They are your tenants. But if you run everything, then you have full control of which ones to change and what, what to do. So that was why we kind of, we were, it took us so long to build Hawker Hall as a brand. Mm. It took us a year and a half of talking, thinking, visiting all kinds of Hawker places, even in Singapore. we gone several times to go look at their hawker centers how it's run what do they do what is successful and then build hawker hall to what it is today nice yeah. nice we're gonna like do that the last Soon. mile now okay. yeah <laughs> you're just gonna jump to quick five okay, questions sure, sure. and we'll move fast so um what scene from a movie or tv show uh -huh. is super memorable to you and left you a lasting life lesson Life lesson, okay. Mm. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh. I've watched that for so long and it's always been like the last scene which is, oh my God, they escaped, you know. So uh, sometimes hard work 
pays off uh, or sometimes unexpected things can happen and it's up to you how to kind of uh, absorb it right that uh, realities can be distorted mm. um, uh, dreams can come true mm. uh, when you plan long enough something can happen and so th- those were the you know the endings that were wow, oh my gosh it's I can't believe it that did happen. So that was one of it. And I think the other one would be the oldie story, which I, I haven't watched for a long time, but Gone with the Wind. Gone it's with, the same. Oh, oh, wow. At the end, rich people can become poor and go back again, you know, as a redemption. So it's, it's always about evolution. It's right. about wherever you are today, it can change it tomorrow. It can change, yeah. right. And, and that, that's left like a, yes. a uh, lasting... Classics. Classic. It's a classics. Right, yes. okay. Uh, is there a book that you've read, fiction or non-fiction, that you would recommend every young graduate read? Tony Robbins, Tony. Awaken the Giant. Awaken I, the Giant. It's, it's a very lengthy read. It's not a one-sitting type of book, mm. but it helps to help you put your thoughts in perspective on your journey. And I think, and I wish somebody told me this when I was you know, newly graduate, dreaming of, of stuff. I think it helps to... Um, put your mind into what do you want to really become one mm, day, mm. Um, emotionally, physically, mentally. And I feel that he has really pretty much covered a lot of things. So definitely not one reading. Mm. It could be months and months of reading. reading. You could probably you, reread it yeah, several yes, times. Yes, yes. Right? Uh, and even until today, I, I keep going back at the notes that I've, I've done mm. uh, and read the Donald Trump book with Robert <laughs> Kiyosaki. Uh, <laughs> that changed yeah. my, I, I can't remember the title though. I just uh, remember. I think it's they, uh, they, I Can Make You Rich or something. Yes. Yes, like yes, they yeah, co-authored the book, book and you've yeah. got those two guys and yeah. it was in a book sale, you know, yeah. I'm like, okay, oh, okay, these two guys together come. I didn't think much of it, but when I read it, it was written so simply that mm. it made you think, why would I entrust my hard-earned money to you, who a banker who may not even know what he's doing when I can put it on me, mm. which I can control what I do. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Uh, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received from a mentor or someone that you respect? Oh, okay. Um, he asked me to read this Seven Habits of Highly Effective oh, People. Okay. Uh, and one of the things that really stuck by me was, you know, part of the Seven Habits, um, begin with the end in mind. Mm. So again, it's the same. You can dream big and then work towards that. Mm. Uh, don't think too small, like just by steps. You have this big, big dream or this big ending, this big goal, and you work towards that. Um, and I would say that he was one of the smartest boss I had in Microsoft. And yes, there were many really good managers, mm. um, but the reading part, I think that wasn't, it, it wasn't required by Microsoft, right. but he recommended it and he would Encourage highly, you to and read. he spoke so highly of it until mm. you would, okay, let me go get the book right. and let me go read it. <laughs> and uh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, yes. Oh wow, no wonder he speaks how he speaks. Mm. He does what he does. Mm. Um, and I, until today, I tell him he's my smartest boss so far. Uh, mm. Not in terms of, of intelligence or anything, but because of the enrichment you get from all these books. So, mm. Uh, in as much as I wish I had more time to read, mm. if I don't get to read all, then you take excerpts from, you know, now you've seen it in Gold Coast, Gold Coast uh, on Facebook. They mm. share about all these uh, inspirational stories. It's an excerpt from books, right? Yeah. So then if you find it interesting, go and read it. Definitely reading helps um, open the mind in a way that doesn't, 
it's not the same by mm. watching TV or mm. or just watching a documentary. So I highly recommend it if you can and if you're searching for something. And uh, that gave me a lot of answers when I was starting off. And even in this journey now that I'm looking towards how do I get better, how do I make my company better, um, the reading part, it's still the it's most still important. very important. Yes. Okay. Uh, is there, next question, so is there any purchase that you've made in the last 12 months uh -huh. uh, of an object yes. that has made a tremendous positive impact in your life? Oh, object, Anything, is yes, it? Yes, anything it? that you purchased in the last 12 months that you think like, oh, such a tremendous okay. positive impact. Okay, oh my gosh. <laughs> I am an avid fan of iPhone. Every iPhone upgrade, the first day I go and buy it, um, I try. Mm. And my iPhone 11 Pro Max You got wow, awesome. you met. Oh, wow. Awesome, check it out. You know, so second day, oh, oh, it was wow. out. I just couldn't help myself. So I'm a Microsoft employee. The first thing I did after I left Microsoft, the next day, honey ordered me an Apple MacBook or iPhone, and then I, everything is Apple in my house now. I wouldn't say I'm an artistic person, but I'm a person that d does marketing, mm. and I like taking photos, videos, uh, not just of myself, uh, but of the employ um, uh, outlets, inspirational things. You know, mm. you go to cafes, you go overseas, you see something, mm. so you kind of snap photos of it, and of course for my children as well. So mm. that has tremendous effect on mm. me because you feel you've got everything in your hands, which makes you um, effective, you can do things fast. I can be with my employees, even though physically I'm not there. I am with my children. I'm with my helper. Like, hey, uh, the children are home. Did you did mm. you do this? So, in as much as I know that you know everyone is on the phone now, right? Mm. So this is like the thing. Mm. It replaces my laptop. I used to walk around with my MacBook. Now, now you don't need a MacBook. Now I don't anymore. need my MacBook. Yeah. Um, we used to walk around with a digital camera, and now my camera is right. this. Uh, video cam is this. Yeah. Um, my my Walkman is now this. Mm. You know, so on my on my car, I drive with this. So this is a purchase that I always justify to my husband. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I feel that I think every woman and entrepreneur, a guy entrepreneur, will think the same um, this is your best friend at least when you're running something and you're not there all the time to to speak to employees it used to be email now it's whatsapp yeah. whatsapp is the most god-given thing yeah. at least for me um, and you've got everything in there from from the photos to the memories of how we started to i go on location sites to look at new locations for next year's um uh, growth and then you've got inspirational things or i go eat somewhere oh my god this is we should be creating something like this and you take a photo of mm. it uh, and you check emails, you approve stuff, you know, like you sign stuff on it and now all our leaves are on Dintalk as well. So I got the whole company to be on online to mm. apply their leaves. Mm. So these are, I feel, tools that you can take advantage of. And mm. at least for me, this has really changed the way um, I have run my company. Right. And as long as there's an upgrade, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> it's like uh, it's your entire office is in your yes, phone, it yes, sounds like. Yes, definitely. And that, yeah, I suppose that also gives you a lot of freedom because you move around. Yes, and all that. Uh, a lot of freedom and speed. I speed, think right. um, the speed because you are familiar with how to use it yeah. and it's always so user. Of course, a lot of people tell me about the camera of the other brands. Right. But... Uh, speed is of the essence and I can't relearn everything um, for a camera that's more megapixel and more wow so I said look 
I make do with whatever Apple keeps upgrading because I've learned it, they've proven, and my ecosystem is so good at home with my Apple TV, my MacBook, the AirDrop, the AirPlay, everything is just so well done that yeah. You know, I wish I could meet Steve I, Jobs, but I can't. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of an Apple person myself, so like, <laughs> I, I 100% understand what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, you've read his book, his biography. I have, I have. I, I, I actually did not finish it, surprisingly, but I, I got through like two thirds. Oh, I, I loved it that I wish there were more pages, but I finished it too fast. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah you're so it's such an inspirational. Yeah. Um, okay, so if you could make a video go viral on social media. Mm-hmm. What message would you like that video to carry? Healthy eating. Healthy eating. Healthy eating, not because of what we have created, but because we are in Malaysia and it is the highest obesity rates, the highest um, obesity, highest diabetic rate, highest whatever mm. rates in Southeast Asia. Mm. Um, and it's pretty sad when I've met customers who eat what they eat or drink what they drink at my company because they are at the level of slightly too late or already very sick or going through something in their lives. So it's, it's one of the reasons why we continue to do what we do um, to help better the lives of people. Um, and if there was a message out there very clearly, at least to Malaysians, uh, yes, it's a beautiful country with awesome food. But whenever you can, choose something healthier or choose healthy when you can or when you can afford it because really this country is sliding down in terms of health um, and you can see it everywhere, uh, mm. left and right. You just observe uh, the people are walking around. And I think the newer generation, they are better because they have informed decisions. That's right, and yes. it's really the older generation. So if you wanted to reach out to more people, a viral video to show that if you didn't do this, this would be your ending. Mm. Is that what you want? Mm. And this could have been your story, a better ending, mm. if only you ate healthier. Mm. So I think other countries, I would say first world countries, have done their bit on uh, healthy eating and really educating people. Uh, Malaysia is not in there. Mm. Okay. Um, next question. What does the word passion mean to you in the context of a career? Like what, does it, what do you think it means to you? Because it's such a, I find it, Overrated. Overrated and such a poorly defined word. Like it just means so differently for different people. Uh, yes, I, yeah. I find that um, I'm disappointed when uh, young people or people get into a business because they think they're passionate about it and they think passion is enough mm. to drive a business. I think it's overrated. Uh, people discover what they like as the world changes. Mm. And I wouldn't even say that I've always been passionate about healthy eating. I, in fact, I was a terrible eater. You know, From Manila, <laughs> you eat rice morning, lunch, and dinner. That's how I grew up. Right. Um, and so you could turn into somebody who's into healthy eating. So mm. you can't say that you're passionate about something when you don't even know that something, yeah. right? So passion is what excites you at that moment mm. um, and sometimes when you start something because of passion it runs out after three years right first year is and and like what you mentioned earlier the le- the test of an sme first year is exciting mm. second year you're so busy settling all the paperwork and other things and on the third year you're tired right. your passion burns out and you decide to close mm. so Passion only brings you the first step, which Mm. is that exciting part. Mm. But later on, that needs to translate into 
um, better processes and, and knowing what to do to fuel the passion to continue onwards or grow and evolve into something else. So mm. I think do what excites you, but you also have to do your homework. Like I said, financially, emotionally, physically ready uh, so that you can fuel more passions out of uh, in the next, you know, in the near future. So don't be pressured to know your passion now. How can you know it now when it hasn't been invented yet or you haven't discovered it yet? So it's always a self-discovery. Maybe it's a moment when you travel. Maybe it's a life-changing moment like having children. People then discover that, oh, I have this interest in designing or um, doing stuff at home or doing uh, other things. So mm. I think overrated. Um, be be careful in, in, in defining what is passion. Mm. Just do away with the word and just say what excites you, what would make you wake up, what would make you do this even if you had no salary for a year mm. or two. Mm. Um, would you still do what you do? Mm. Uh, will it help people and does it solve problems? So this is the other thing. You can be passionate about something, but whatever you created doesn't solve a world problem. Um, it doesn't better the lives of people you can forget it. Yeah. I, I think, I think gone are the days where it's easily to um, fool people into buying the next item. It, the place is flooded with with creations and brands and and stuff. You need to help resolve a problem, mm. uh, and then people will look at you and come back to you again and again. Mm. Yes, I, I I'm I personally I'm very careful with the word passion. I use it very sparingly. Like and and if I if I use do use the word passion, I always make sure I explain what I mean by passion first. Yeah, that, that's good. Right? So yeah. Otherwise, it becomes something that is uh, it's overused that's and right. it's used in many ways, right? That's like right. I'm passionate about something, I will drive it through or I will create a company around it. But it's, it's too big of a word and you might not even know what you want at that point in time. So mm. just be careful, uh, especially whether it's an employment or it's to create a company. Um, think it through. Mm. Uh, not too far to the point that you won't start something, but do your homework uh, and then be prepared at mm. the level that you can mm. so that you can um, sustain it longer. Uh, and, and, you know, when I interview people, I would not ask about what they're passionate about, but I always ask, what's their dream? Mm. What do you want to become one day? Mm. Because that is a more specific question. Mm. Like, how do you envision yourself, right? right? How do you envision yourself? Whether how you get to that point is, is you don't know how to figure it out, but you kind of know what you dream about, right? Mm. Like what you want to become one day. So that I think is a closer relation of a visual um, let's just say like me, I'm going to be 50 one day. I want to look like JLo. So that is, you know, <laughs> it's, not, dream. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like you're passionate about wanting to grow old, but it's just, there's a role model and I want to get there. And yeah. I think it's more um, easily digested by mm. people to know that example. So imagine when I met my business partners, they didn't know who I was. I didn't know who they were, but I was very simple. Guys, let's work together and make a brand that can become Starbucks one day. So they knew what Starbucks was. They knew how big that dream can be. Come on, let's do it. But if I said, um, believe me, we will create a brand um, that will impact lives of people. I'm passionate about health. You know, there's a very, a lot of words for, for something that these guys can't imagine. So sometimes it's just, what's a dream? 
and then you kind of figure out how to get there. So that would be a more specific type of question. Okay. I think that's a great last question to close this conversation. Uh, that's, uh, so thanks, Annabelle, for coming. Oh, uh, most welcome. Thanks. And yeah. I hope it helps out uh, a lot of people out there who, who are searching for that next thing. Mm. Because back then, when I was about to leave my job, I, I don't think there were a lot of podcasts, mm. um, nor videos, no, nor it wasn't today. It's That's not right. the same. And I wish I had more answers back then. Mm. Um, and I didn't have access to all of this. So I think the, the newer generation are lucky because they can search and they can find testimonials from real businesses, from real people who have done it well or have, are still on their way doing it. So I, I am very thankful for all opportunities that can kind of help people. Later on, mm. much later, they will discover um, interviews or articles and it might you know, really push them forward to, to follow their dreams. That's right. And, and uh, one of the things why we find it so important to have this podcast is because uh, there's, there's a lot of content, like say, say from America, from Europe, and it, it's all good, but sometimes in order for it to be really practical and effective, you have to hear how someone did it here locally. Yeah. Uh, what was their journey? How is it different? Because I have a lot of experiences where I learned something from, say, some American book or something, but it doesn't really work here. You know, yeah. not exactly the same way. So it makes a huge difference if you hear from an actual person who's done it and Definitely. what they did. And, what and they did. a lot yeah. of inspiring Malaysians as well who have created their brands in Malaysia and has gone beyond. So those are the realities that Malaysia is a wonderful place and can churn out brands that can be uh, relevant mm. to the local market and internationally. So always, I think it's great that you do this um, to have local examples so that they may know that they also can do it. Mm. So, yeah, I, like I said at the beginning of the, the podcast, like, I really love like, what you're doing Thank with you. like, La Juiceria, Super Saigon. I will definitely try Hawker Hall yes, one day. Yes, oh, bring the girls. Yes, we will, <laughs> we will bring the team there. I like the concept. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so I, I wish that you guys continue to grow. Thank you. I hope Hawker Hall succeeds so that you can have one branch near <laughs> where we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. we'll be working on that. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Anima. Thanks again. Thank All you. Right.